Well, good morning again. What a joy it is to be with y'all this morning, and what a joyful morning it is to have celebrated those new members in baptisms. Welcome. We're so glad you are here. If you are a visitor here this morning, we are a growing family, and we would love to welcome you into our family. And so um, I will probably either be here or in the back. Uh, I'll definitely be one of those two places, Lord willing. Uh, come say hi. I'd love to meet you. Our assistant pastor, Kelly, would love to meet you as well. Um, speaking of which, I knew I had some announcement to make this morning during the pulpit time, and I kept forgetting what it was, and it just occurred to me. The session has recommended that the congregation call Kelly Scott to be an associate pastor, um, and has called a congregational meeting for January 14th to do that. That's really exciting. Uh, we'll explain more of what that happens uh, when we approach that. It'll be, there'll be information about it, but one of the things we have to do is tell you, and so I'm giving you official notice that there is a congregational meeting on January 14th to call Kelly as our associate pastor, which is, which is wonderful. It's a promotion. That's basically what's happening. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> okay, so we are shifting from our time this fall in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 to John chapter 1 for this and the next Three, or not, this and three more Sundays after this during Advent. We'll be looking at John 1, 1 through 18. We'll read the whole text every week. Um, we'll be looking at particular portions of it. We may bring in a few other pieces of John as needed. But for now, let's read John 1, 1 through 18. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there. It's also printed for you in your bulletin. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, we do rejoice that you've called us together this morning in this beautiful sanctuary, in this beautiful season, by your most beautiful word. Lord, we couldn't know you without you revealing yourself to us, and we rejoice and thank you that you have. 
in your holy scriptures, and in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh. Lord, we pray now that your Spirit, who breathed out these words through the Apostle John, would be among us, that I would speak clearly and truly and boldly and tenderly of the things of Christ, and that we would all, in our hearts, treasure him alone as our Savior and Redeemer. Lord, clear us from distractions in this moment, in this busy season, that we might attend to you. We ask in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you watched television before the advent of streaming services, you will know that to watch a show, you had to watch it live, and then you had to wait a week to watch the next episode. This was good for us. And one of the features... One of the features of the next week, especially in dramas uh, that had a lot of plot to them, is that they would start with previously on. You all know these things, right? Previously on 24, and then it would show you what, what happened last week and, and prior. Why? So that you could have some clue or reminder about what was going on in this coming week. And some of the shows that now even on streaming services are coming out week by week are doing the same thing. Previously on, what's going to happen? And sometimes if you paid really close attention, you could guess what was going to happen because they showed certain characters and you're like, that person's going to be important because I think I know what's going to happen. All right, enough about TV shows. John 1, 1 through 18, this prologue to the Gospel of John, the Apostle John is giving us something of a previously on the life of Jesus. The whole gospel is going to be on the earthly life and ministry of Christ, but before he starts, he wants us to know that this is not the beginning of Christ's story. He gives us a look into the eternal past where Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Christ, the Son of God, has been. We're going to see in John, that his life did not begin at Bethlehem. He was around for the events that we were just, we've been looking at in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Indeed, John says, he is God himself. This Jesus you're about to read about is God. This takes us into height, heighty, weighty theological matters to talk about the divinity of Christ, the nature of the Trinity, about his pre-existence. And these are massively important doctrines for us as a church. It took several centuries for the early church to work out exactly how to talk about this rightly. There were important debates, important confessions, many of which we read today. But one of the features of that wonderful course of centuries in the early church is that it has become something of a settled thing for Christians to talk about Jesus and his divinity and his relationship to God. So if you've been in the church, you would say, yes, Jesus was God. That's important to what we have to say. One of the challenges, though, is that that leaves us in a place often where we take these things for granted and where we sometimes don't talk about them as much as we probably ought to. And as a result, we also find as we read about the divinity of Christ and the Trinity, we say, that's interesting. I'm glad that they worked that thing out, but I don't know exactly why that matters for me. 
That's not the only reason to care about something in Scripture, but what I've found is if I don't see some application to my own life, it's going to be hard for me to pay much attention to it for very long. So why does this matter? That's what I want us to think about today. And what I want to suggest as a warning at the outset is even though there are not many heterodox deniers of the Trinity among us, in our practical relationship to God, we often veer off the path of Trinitarian orthodoxy when it comes to Jesus and God. And that does have profound effects on the way that we relate to God. So here's what I want to do as we unpack this text. We'll do it in three parts. First, I want to think about the pre-incarnate identity of Christ. So who was Jesus Christ in the previously on? Second, the pre-incarnate work of Christ. What was he doing? And then third, we're going to think a little bit about why that matters. Okay? So the pre-incarnate identity, the pre-incarnate work, and why that matters. And in doing this, we're going to focus mostly on verses 1 to 5 of John's prologue. But we'll need verse 14 as well. Okay, so first, the identity. Who was Christ before Bethlehem? Some of the other Gospels, in the way they tell the story, helpfully show us the unfolding nature of this story. People are confused. Who is this guy? Is he God? Is he the Messiah? John takes a very different approach, and he says, before I'm even going to tell you about this guy, I'm going to give you the answer to that question. This is God. And if we read verses 1 and 2 and 14 together, we see that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word here is Jesus. Verse 14 makes it clear that he's talking about Jesus Christ the whole time. And verse 1 tells us some important facts about Jesus Christ. First, he was there in the beginning. Second, he was with God in the beginning. And third, he was God. He was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. Now, these are fundamentally important clauses, one of the more important verses in the whole Bible. Let me draw it out briefly, and then we'll keep going. First, we see that in the beginning takes us back to Genesis 1-1. Y'all remember that from earlier this fall, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth were created, but Jesus Christ was not. That's the import of what John is saying here. He was there in the beginning. He was not part of the creation. He was there before creation. He was already present. He pre-existed our creation. He is not a created being. And why? Well, because he was with God and in fact is God. And here we see the status of Christ as the second person of the Trinity. We see that he was God, one with God in substance, and yet we see that he was with God. He was distinct from God. And this takes us into these two important aspects of understanding Jesus and his relationship to the Trinity. He is both one in union with the Trinity, but also a distinct person within that. The Westminster Larger Catechism says this in question nine, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
These three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. And then the Athanasian Creed, which is a very important creed in the history of the church, says something very similar. That we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal and their majesty co-eternal. Make perfect sense, right? The Trinity is completely... No, it doesn't. It, it's, there, there is mystery, right, in our understanding of how these things work. And yet the Bible is clear, and John 1 here sets out these two very important realities, that Jesus Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, is distinct, and yet he is also God, which is one of the foundational texts for our understanding of God as triune. He has an independent personhood, and yet he is one with God in glory and uncreated in in his beginning. John wants all that clear from the get-go, okay? C.K. Barrett, who's one of the foremost commentators on the Gospel of John, says this, John intends that the whole of this Gospel shall be read in light of this verse. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this is not true, the book is blasphemous. That's John's approach at the very beginning, previously on the life of Jesus Christ. He's God, okay? So everything that comes forward, you're hearing the words and the deeds of God. Those of you who've been in the church will say, yeah, got that. Thanks. Trinity's a little mysterious, but I understand it. Okay, stick with it. Let's keep going, and then we'll circle back to why we need to really work that into our hearts. So the pre-incarnate identity of Christ, he is God, the second person of the Trinity, uncreated there at the beginning. Second, let's look at the pre-incarnate work of Christ. What's he up to when we have that shot of his previous existence? What's he doing before he takes on flesh? And here we look at verses three to five. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ's pre-incarnate title in John is this word, Word. He is the Word. And that's really helpful for us in understanding what his pre-incarnate work is. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, before he takes on flesh is the word. The logos is the Greek word here. Now that word logos is used in a number of different religious and philosophical strains that would have been active in the first century. And John is almost certainly speaking into that in one sense, but as many commentators will point out, for us to understand what the word of God is for the apostle John, we don't need to look to stoicism. We need to look to the Old Testament where the Word of God is a very important category. And John is taking the Old Testament understanding of the Word of God and putting it into this pre-existent logos that others would have seen as something worth thinking about. If we look at the Old Testament, what does the Word of God do? What's the Word of God up to in the Old Testament? And those of you who were paying attention a few months ago will remember this, but it's chiefly two things. The Word of God is creating in the Old Testament, And the word of God is revealing in the Old Testament. 
The Word of God is creating and revealing. The Word is a word of creation and a word of revelation. We see the creation in the texts we've been looking at. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 33, summing this up, says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth the host. He spoke, and it came to be. God creates the world by speaking it into existence. We spent some time thinking about that earlier this fall. The word creates. But the second thing the word does, as we look at the Old Testament, the word, the word reveals. The word shows us the truth about God, which is maybe the more natural sense in which we think of the word of God. We see the word coming to the prophets, and then the prophets speaking God's word. So we have these two ideas that the word creates the world, right? And then the world reveals who God is. Y'all tracking with me so far? Okay. So the logos that's described here, the word, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, his pre-incarnate work is to create and to reveal. That's exactly what John says as he unfolds this work of the word. First, the word creates, and we see that in verse 3. All things were made through him, through the word, through Jesus. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Notice here the word of God is made personal. It's not this idea or this thing. It's actually Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Unless we worry that we're misreading John and saying something crazy, we can take comfort that two other New Testament authors say exactly the same thing. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1, says this about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So too, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1, verse 2, says this, In the last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Within the actions of God as Trinity, and there is mystery here, The Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, is the agent of creation. That's what the Bible reveals to us. That the word that was spoken in Genesis chapter 1 is in fact Jesus Christ. And that all of the world is created through him. And it's upheld through him. And this creating power is summed up in verse 4. Or what is John say he says in him in Christ was life the pre-incarnate Christ the word of God that was God and with God John says is the source of life and this is the source of the second aspect of his work this revealing piece right because the word as life reveals and we see that in verses four and five In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So as Jesus comes into the world, he's going to reveal a lot of things. He's going to teach. He's going to show in his life 
the glory of God. We'll talk about that soon. But what Paul, what John is talking about here in verses 4 and 5 of the prologue is not about Jesus' earthly life and revealing. It's about Jesus' work in creation and his, his status as life residing in himself that creates. This is, this is a different sort of revelation. This is the revelation that was going on before he showed up on the scene in Bethlehem. The life that was in him, the life that is created and shared by those of us who live, John says, is the light of men. Light is associated with revelation here. And so what John is telling us, and this is, this is the hardest part of the sermon, so sit up for one more second and then we're going to get into some application, okay? The life that is in Christ, that he creates in the world, is a revelation of God himself. It is a light of revelation. So the life was the light of men. Life has a divine origin, and it points us to its maker. And here we can sit back and think about the native sense that everyone has in ourselves of divinity, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, which for many of our peers in this world is is as far as they go, and yet it's true. You wake up with some sense of the divine built into you, and the reason is that you're alive, and that life rings out for the one from whom it came, which is Jesus Christ himself. This explains the ubiquity of religion and spirituality across human experience, even apart from the particular revelation of God in the Bible. Now here we need to verge on the poetic, which I actually really enjoy, but I'm not good as a communicator in doing, and so forgive me. But there is a beauty, there is a supernatural reality in life itself that points us to our maker. I want us to think about that briefly here. There is a difference between you looking at a rock on the ground and you looking into the eyes of a newborn baby, right? Y'all sense that. There's something else there, right? There's something supernatural going on in life itself. There's a difference between hanging out in the desert and looking at all the cool trees and rocks, right, and being in Times Square and feeling the energy of that place, There's something magical, and I use that word purposefully, there's something not of this world, if you can imagine a dinner held in the midst of a flowering garden full of people you love. There's there's something else there. You can see it in one another's eyes, and the life that came from Jesus Christ is a light that points us back to him. And it's okay, then, to wax poetic a little bit in your life as you think about these things. About artificial intelligence, what both intrigues and terrifies us about it is that it looks like life. It looks like it's alive. And we know that living things are different. We sense that deep down inside. And what John's telling us here is 
in the fact that we are created, that life is created through Jesus Christ, it's a signpost that then shines us back to him. Life is from God and it points us to God and that is the work of the pre-incarnate eternal son of God. Okay? All right. Theology, which was in poetry, poetry wasn't very good, theology was great, is over. Okay? Now, for our, in our last minutes, I want to think about why, why do we want to think about this thing? Why not, why not just go straight to the cross and to Christ's sacrifice for us and his love? We, we don't want to ever not go there. But why should we dwell upon the divinity, the preexistence of Christ and the way the world is created through him? Why does it matter? Um, it's a claim of the whole Bible. And that's, I, want to, I want to suggest three, three, three little things here, okay? Um, three problems with not seeing this the way that John sees this. The first is the problem with a God-free Jesus. John does not allow for a God-free Jesus. Y'all see that? The whole story that follows is premised on this previously on, which is that Christ is God. Here's the problem with a God-free Jesus, a Jesus who isn't actually God. Y'all, some of y'all who've been around the church for a while will know this from C.S. Lewis. Uh, he has a famous little uh, triad of Jesus being either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. But here's the fuller quote. He says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to him with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. That's Lewis. It's really good. It's really true. And if you're wrestling with these things, you need to be confronted with that. But I want to confess something. It's often easy for me, nonetheless, to still think of Jesus as something less than the Lord of the universe. Right? It's not logical, and that's what Lewis is saying, and we should be challenged by that. It's not rational, and yet I find, I don't know about you, I'm extremely good at holding to non-rational and non-logical opinions and letting those things govern my life. Anyone else been there? The world does this with Jesus, and what I want to suggest to y'all this morning is that you and I are tempted to treat Jesus as a God-free Jesus, as a Jesus who was not, in fact, divine. And as we do this, what we are creating is ultimately a God-free world, which is a terrifying place for us to exist. If Jesus is simply within creation... If he's a nice guy who showed up 2,000 years ago and did amazing things and taught beautiful things about what it means to love and then demonstrated that in the face of injustice, that's inspiring, but it means that we live in a God-free universe. If Jesus was just a man, if there was no divine in him, 
then we are left with treating Jesus as one more choice for us as as a teacher to guide us in this world. We are left with a materialism and consumerism that is true of much of our flattened world. There's no magic, there's no transcendence, there's just an appetite that we need to fulfill and techniques that might help us to have decent lives. And this extends in the way that we approach Jesus himself. If we approach him not as Lord, but as one more approach, as one more technique, as one more option that we might take up to have a good life. Are you here this morning because you think that the Christian message is going to give you the most satisfying jaunt through your time on planet Earth? If that's why you have chosen Christ, not because he is the pre-existent creator of the universe, but because he has nice things to say that work for you, you will discard him when those things stop working for you. And you and I can do that. You and I do do that. We take him when we want him and we set him aside when he's not working for us. That's completely different than the creator of the universe taking on flesh and saying something to us, right? A God-free Jesus is not the sort of Jesus we want to approach. We also, though, don't want to approach a Jesus-free God, and that's the second half of this. John doesn't let us imagine a a God-free Jesus, but he also doesn't let us imagine a Jesus-free God, a God who didn't take on flesh and become man 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. This is attractive initially, the idea that perhaps God is not so specific and particular as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's uncomfortable. We'd prefer John 1, 1 through 5 without the rest of the stuff. A God who's there in our dinner parties and gardens, the eyes of babies, who's there as we meditate on the things of the universe and dig down deep in our souls, but not a God who was this particular man, who did these particular things, who said these particular ways that we had to approach him. If we only have John 1, 1 through 5, we only have the life who was the light of men, But ultimately, that leaves us alone. A godless, a Jesusless God, I think that's what we're on, yeah, a Jesus free God leaves you and me alone with a vague sense of the divine and a good luck, make make the best of it, right? That's a terrifying thing in the pains of life, and it's also a terrifying thing in our quest for meaning and purpose in our lives. It takes us back to Babel, where we were last week, where we've got to build up our own tower to make sense of this basic sense. There's something up there. Let's go get it. But again, that's, that's very much often the way we approach God. The particularities of Jesus are nice, but it's more exciting, it's more comfortable to think of the general God who we are coming to find. 
The incarnation is God moving toward us, both to be with us and to show himself to us. And a non-particular God can't help us deal with the fact that as we look inside ourselves and at the world, it's a mess. The bricks don't work. We can't get up high enough. We are a problem. And that takes us to the final sub-point here of the third point. I've been tricking y'all lately with all these extra points. Sorry. Which is that we really need terribly both a God who is divine, uh, Jesus who is both divine and a God who becomes Jesus. Because a non-divine Jesus and a non-Jesus God share something very much in common. The Jesus who isn't God gives us advice, stuff to do. And the God who isn't Jesus cannot be a redeemer for us. He can only be a judge. He can be just, but he is not gracious. Brothers and sisters, you need, I need more than advice. We need God to come down. We need more than a generic just God. We need a God who can be our Redeemer, because sin is real and darkness is real, and you and I aren't going to find our ways to God on our own. A generic God who didn't become flesh cannot be a fulfilling, atoning Redeemer who earns our reward and pays our debt. If Christ did not become man, and if this man, Jesus, was not the divine Christ, he cannot do that which we need which is to be redeemed before the face of a holy God against whom we are treasonous traitors. That is the ultimate reason that this matters. Jesus was God. He was there at the beginning. And as we have in John 1, this beautiful previously on, you can often guess what's coming, and here we can guess what's coming too. Because the God, the Jesus Christ, who once spoke the world into existence and created and then revealed himself, is coming to reveal himself so that he can speak you back into new life and existence. This is the gospel, and it is desperately good news, and it's grounded in the reality that Jesus Christ didn't begin in Bethlehem, but that he is indeed the creator of the world. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this, your holy word. It's dense. There are books and books and books upon these few verses, and yet there is a simple comfort in the reality that you have taken on flesh, that you might recreate us even as you reveal yourself to us. And so we rejoice in your Son, who was there at the beginning and is there now, and who came to be with us and is with us even now through your Holy Spirit. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.